Battel for Kids is proud to present the EdSpark podcast with Dr. Karen Garza. Battel for Kids is a national not-for-profit organization with the mission of realizing the power and promise of 21st century learning for every student. So happy to welcome Dr. David Schuler to the program today. Hi, Dave. It's good to see you. Great to see you. Really appreciate your time today. Um, Dave is the new executive director of the American Association of School Administrators, uh, commonly referred to as AASA. And Dave, you've been on the job now for how many weeks? This is my third week. Third week. So you've gotten <laughs> everything already figured out. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're very, very excited to talk with you about this new role and kind of your vision and just the excitement you have, I know, um, for leading this, you know, premier national organization for school superintendents and school leaders. So we're really interested and excited to visit with you about that. But before we get started on that, would you mind just providing our listeners a little bit about your background and kind of your path to this new role? Sure. Yeah. I started out as a, a teacher and a coach and then became an athletic director and a high school principal. And then I've been a superintendent for the last 22 years um, in three different districts in two states. Um, had the opportunity to serve a, in a small rural farming community that was growing in enrollment, and I got to build a school. Then I went to a sprawling geographical district in the center of the state of Wisconsin that was losing enrollment and got to close a school. And Karen, it's a lot more fun to build a school than to close a school, I can tell you that. And then for the last 17 years, I've been in the northwest suburbs of Chicago um, in a stable district, uh, very suburban with um, a, a really diverse demographics, which has been awesome. And I've loved all of that work. Through that time, I had the opportunity to be on the governing board and executive committee of AASA and serve as president. Um, and I was honored to be named the National Superintendent of the Year in 2018. Um, and just really love the work. I, I feel there are so few individuals in a school community that have the opportunity to transform an entire community than that of the school superintendent. Yeah, well, I've, I've known Dave for a while, so it's your your career path has just been extraordinary. The work and the impact you've had, certainly in your districts, um, have, has been really impressive. But you've been engaged in much even broader work um, through your relationship with AASA and other things that you've done. You know, you've you've uh, inspired so many leaders across the country, even prior to this role, to thinking differently about um, the work that they're leading and the impact they could have as school system leaders. So one of the ways, so we're very excited that you uh, are in this new role and we really are just gonna, we're gonna enjoy watching the impact that you're gonna continue to have across the country. So one of the things that I know that I'm familiar with that you were uh, very engaged in and really led as part of AASA was the Redefining Ready um, cohort. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that work and, you know, how is that making you think or how is it shaping the way you're thinking in some ways around the work of AISA moving forward? Yeah, thanks, Karen. Um, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I was getting really frustrated that we were allowing outside entities to determine how successful public schools were being. And um, I think that public schools have some amazing things going on. We're not perfect, but show me a perfect profession and we can continue that conversation, right? But there's some great things going on. And so I asked uh, Dan Dominic, my predecessor, um, if we could do a meta-analysis on what it means to be college, career, and life ready. Like, what does the research actually say? And that's where we developed 
our redefining ready metrics. And <clears throat> it's been awesome because our perspective is our kids are more than a score. Uh, they're more than just a score they earn on a standardized test. And so we lived that in District 214 and other districts across the country have also embraced that work. We're seeing more and more states accountability plans also include factors and metrics associated with redefining ready, which is just terrific. But what it did is it made us shift away from thinking solely a goal of every kid going to a four year institution and really creating personalized pathways of choice for every student. And I say all the time, you know, I understand graduation rates matter, but we can't be judged on how many of our students graduate. We have to be judged on how successful they are after they graduate. And Karen, you and I know, I mean, technology is moving faster than ever before. And it's the slowest it will ever move in the rest of our lives, you know? And so we have to prepare kids for a, wor for a world we cannot yet imagine. And that can be a huge burden or it could be viewed as an awesome opportunity. And that's how I love to embrace the work. And so, you know, we started building out career pathways based on our industry need in our community. So we started with manufacturing and then went into healthcare. And over time, built out a really comprehensive program, you know, including a law and equity pathway, a sustainability pathway, finance, governance. Um, so every kid has an opportunity while they're with us to find out either what they do want to do or what they don't want to do. You know, but what I wanted students to think about in their families is I didn't want them just taking a class and then another class and then a class. I wanted them to think about how their experience in their high school was going to lead them to something beyond, you know, because our kids can't dream what they can't see. And so it's our opportunity as superintendents to plant new dreams in the minds of our students and their families. And I think if that's the approach you take and that's the approach I'm hoping that we can scale kind of across the country, um, the future is incredibly bright for public education. I, I so agree with that. And I really love the way you described all of that. I'm also finding that when we think about how we're equipping our young people for their for their futures, right? Um, and, and really looking at the experiences they have in our pre-K to 12, 12 uh, career, that we have an opportunity to really inspire them and really excite them around learning. And I think the same holds true for our educators as well. I think the kind of work that you're describing is the kind of work that I think our teachers want to be involved in, the kind of education and experiences that our young people uh, want, but the teachers want for themselves as well, the work that they want to lead. Do you want to comment on our, yeah. our educators and uh, in, in our pipeline and how do we inspire more people to join the profession? Yeah, Kieran, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, I think there's a misnomer sometimes that teachers and educators get into teaching because they love to teach. And I would argue they get into teaching because they love to learn. And during No Child Left Behind, a lot of the love for learning was stripped out of our work. And I think that personally, that's one of the biggest challenges to filling our teacher shortage is putting the love back in learning for all of our stakeholders, especially our adults who are in the system. And, you know, as we think about our work, we're at AASA and professional development for school districts. It really is about inspiring the love of learning in everybody. And I think we've done a good job in motivating and inspiring our kids. 
But I think something new in this, this next generation, we have to be more aspirational in our work. Mm -hmm. We have to get kids to dream beyond what they currently think they're capable of when they walk through our schoolhouse doors on day one, right? And I think if that's, again, the attitude that people take into the work, and I'll just give you a quick example. About seven or eight years ago now, I brought all of our keyboard teachers into a room, and I said, <clears throat> we're going to eliminate keyboarding. And that did not go over well, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I said, here's the deal. We're not going to do any reduction in force. And over the course of the next year, I want you to develop courses that students want to take versus are compelled to take. And out of that work came our app design, our small business, our website design class, our entrepreneurial classes. And the teachers love teaching those courses. And we had a teacher come in front of the school board one time um, and say, I have to tell you, I was so mad at Dave when he brought us in. <laughs> and I thought I was doing really good work. I am the best educator now than I've ever been because he allowed us to dream. He allowed us to implement and he didn't say no. And I think, you know, if I could just erase one word from the lexicon of any educator, it would be just please don't use the word no unless something's dangerous. Right. Don't say no. You know, like encourage people. We had a and um, we had a teacher one time who did an Italian exchange to Italy, and she came back, and she said, "Dave, I'd like to create an international career partnership with this Italian olive oil company." And in my head, I'm thinking, "There's no way in heck." You know what I wrote to her, Lynn? I think that's an awesome idea. Let me know how I may be of support. Well, she worked with our logistics, our trans, our logistics, our legal services, our marketing pathway. <clears throat> and we now sell olive oil at kiosks across the uh, Chicagoland area. Um, and we the school gets a portion of the, the funds for that. And Rodoro, the olive oil company, pays for three, two or three kids every summer to do a full internship in Italy. Because I didn't say no. Like, wow, encourage people to dream. And it's amazing what they can do. Yeah, it is encouraging them to dream. Right. And also to be open to possibility, I think is what you just described, be open to possibility. And um, so many things can emerge from that. So you talked about uh, teacher voice in that, giving you know teachers a lot more opportunity to be innovative and courageous in the way they're thinking and approaching the work. Also, just to some extent, you're talking about student voice as well. And yeah, I know sure. both of us have seen times when we've really also unleashed their imaginations and curiosity around learning and what exciting things that they can can do. I don't think we use our students' voices enough <clears throat> to do a number of things, to lift up the work, but also to show the value of public education to our communities. You know, we've created a partnership with our local paper and we had our journalism students write an article and it was showed up every Friday for 16 weeks on a different career cluster. Well, they did phenomenal work, right? They did phenomenal work and they got something for a portfolio when they were applying to their two or four year institution that they would have, they published already, you know? Or we had a student um, who was doing an internship in our communications department and, um, it was on Veterans Day, so they were, mm -hmm. local news was going to come out and uh, shoot a segment. And we're in Chicago, so stuff always happens. Uh, and the reporter called and said she could no longer make it. And we said to the student, go film the segment. So she went, she filmed the segment, came back, edited it down, 
sent it off to the news and it played at five, six and 10 o'clock, you know, and a lot of places people would have said, oh, too bad. And we said, no, our students are capable of this, you know, and then when you go talk to business partners, you know, I would always say these are not high school juniors or seniors. These are college sophomores or juniors because of the amazing experience they've already had. We can provide a real strong return on investment. And so I, I just think if we unleash our students, it's amazing. I mean, look, you and I know this, Karen, right? Our students will rise or lower themselves to the expectations set by the adults, set high expectations. Well, and let them explore the things, provide opportunity for them to explore the things that they're passionate about. We know so many districts that we work with where students have patented. I mean, I'm talking about in high school. Yep. Uh, young people have patented these ideas, really creative ideas that are going to help a lot of people because they had they had that idea. And the school district provided them the conditions to explore that and to study it and be curious about about that. When I was a superintendent, we had a group of students that launched a satellite into space. First high school ever to do that. No teacher or administrator said, hey, y'all go figure out how to launch a satellite into space. No, these kids were curious about it. And they said, you know what? We can do that. Let us try. Yeah, and, and lo and behold, they did. You know? Yeah, and I think the other thing that with the, you talked about conditions, I think the conditions mm -hmm. are important. You know, we always gave all of our educators permission to fail forward. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't work, we call it version 1.0. And I always use the example of remember the first cell phones and how big they were compared with, you know, this baby right now, you yes. know, that wasn't the first version. Everything shouldn't work the first time you're, you're, you're trying something, you know, and the board always gave, the board of education always gave me permission mm -hmm. to fail forward. And I always gave that permission to our principals and our staff. And about every three years at our opening convocations, I would say that. I just want to remind you, you all have the ability to dream, innovate, and fail forward. And I think having that permission just does allow some fear and anxiety to be taken away from our educators who always worry about being perfect. And the reality is you're not going to create perfection ever, but you've got to give yourself permission to do, do things better than you did them the day before. Yeah, and I, I think... That is at its core a lot of what we're trying to accomplish, I think, with this work and the work we're going to talk about next. And that is, you know, lining ourselves up and preparing, providing our students with our young people with opportunities to learn the real skills that are going to be required for success in the workplace. And just recently, we had a panel of extraordinarily le extraordinary leaders across these just really amazing fields of science, you know, cyber, national security, uh, biomedical, just all these fields that are dramatically emerging and changing. And the one message that came out of all of those is that we need young people who know how to fail and know how to, first of all, self-starters that are adaptable, because they said most of the, the most significant uh, innovations have come out of a multitude of different little failures and learning from those failures and getting this big spark, this big idea. So, yeah, I feel like that's, you know, this idea of iteration. We need to do more of that in our, you know, not just one and done with with grades, you know. So let's talk a little bit about the Learning 2025 Commission and the report that came out of it. And full disclosure, Dave and I both were on the commission um, and we're very proud to be a part of it. I was very proud to be a part of it. 
And uh, because it's an AASA piece of work, I just wanted to ask you about how would you describe the purpose of that that report and kind of what do you think is next uh, for that and what we're you know what we were trying to accomplish and what do you think it's you hope it drives? Yeah, I think what we were hoping to accomplish was to lay out a blueprint for districts and states to at least be a thought partner as they're thinking about where education should head, knowing that um, depending on that context matters, right? And so depending on the community, depending on the state, you know, you may be able to take pieces of Learning 2025 and move the work forward. Another place you may be able to take a lot more of Learning 2025. But we were really at least I believe my intent was to be um, create the conditions, to your point from earlier, for our students to be successful in an ever-changing global economy and provide an opportunity to ensure that we're creating graduates who are gonna be able to earn an upwardly economically mobile salary to support a family over the course of a work life where the world is going to change multiple times. And at the same time, ensuring that we're being smart with our fiscal resources and that we're ensuring that we're providing access and opportunity for every child who walks through our doors. And I, I just love the phrase, you know, no learner marginalized, because who wants to marginalize anybody, you know? But we have to be thoughtful and intentional about the work and the opportunities that we're providing our students as we move forward. I would also say, having been on the commission too, I think it was just trying to push thinking. Yep. You know, push thinking and push uh, school leaders and others engaged in school systems to think differently about the traditional model of education. That we know the research is really clear on this. It's not just Karen's opinion or Dave's opinion. The research is really clear that our current model of, of education is not going to equip our young people with the skills, the experiences, the knowledge they need for success. And, and the world is very different than it was when we were in high school or we were in school. So I think to some extent it was trying to inspire people to step back and say, how does this need to be different? Yeah, and I think, you know, the example I use a lot is, you know, if a student gets 1 to 11 wrong, why should they have to do 13 to 53? And likewise, if someone gets one to 11 right, why should they have to do 13 to 53? And we have the resource and the technology now to ensure that we're meeting every student in that proximal zone of development that we should then, if we can create the, edu the if we can create the instructional strategies to ensure that that's happening, it should accelerate everybody's learning. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love that whole concept that, you know, when we spend a lot of time talking about the word choices we use, you know, when we didn't talk about learning loss, we talked about learning accelerators. But the way you accelerate learning is to ensure that the instructional strategies are being presented to students within that zone of development. And then you can really take off from there. And I think, you know, uh, we had one of our uh, just I think one of the best education thinkers in the country, Deb Delisle, former assistant secretary of ed. And I remember her saying, you know, why does a kid have to know they're being tested? Can't they be assessed while they're doing projects and doing other work? You know, and if you have a child like I do who experiences test anxiety, she's not demonstrating what she really knows. She's demonstrating what she can put on paper because she knows there's a test and she has test anxiety. 
you know, like, so I, I think, I think there are so many opportunities in today's world to push the thinking, to ensure that we're meeting every student where they're at and taking them to new, different, higher levels, um, that it would be really unfortunate if we didn't engage in the conversations at the local, state, and national level. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I think the other thing that you're speaking of and what the report was um, kind of pushing is that the opportunity for authentic learning, right? Really uh, meeting students where they are, but really providing them a multitude of different opportunities, whether that be different ways of thinking about how we're assessing learning versus just a, a, a traditional test score, which we know is not a necessarily a true measure of what a child or a student knows, but really giving students that authentic, uh, ex those authentic experiences, the ones they remember for their entire lives. You ask, you know, some of those really powerful experiences in school, doing more of that, where you can ask, you know, an adult, do you remember an experience you had in school? And you remember them because they had such an impact on your on your life. And then I think the other thing is really pushing people's thinking around broadening our definition of success to be more than just a test score. EdLeader21 is Battelle for Kids' network of innovative school systems committed to the transformation of education, anchored in a renewed vision for student success in the 21st century, Portrait of a Graduate. Battelle for Kids is now accepting new memberships into the network for the 2023-2024 school year. Don't miss your chance to join the nation's premier network for education transformation and become connected with hundreds of systems around the country committed to 21st century deeper learning. Learn more about membership at bfk.org slash edleader21. That's bfk.org slash edleader21. But you talk about authentic learning and the students do the similar projects with a different level of analysis over time. You know, so in elementary, middle, and high school. So they're revisiting the same concept, but at a whole different level of understanding and learning. And those are, I mean, you just see the students light up when they talk about it. Or students in, um, in an education pathway program, talk to high school students that have done field experiences at the elementary, middle school level, and in special ed, and high school EL, you know, and they just beam, you know, with the, with, everything that they've done in that class and how much they've studied and how much they worked and prepared, that's the stuff they're going to remember. And that's what we have to provide. The more authentic learning, real learning, you know, work-based learning experiences we can provide. Just, you know, we run a, um, we ran, sorry, third week on the job, so I have to work on my tenses. <laughs> but uh, um, my former district, we ran a geometry and construction class. So our students who maybe didn't learn math the same way that everybody else learns math, could do hands-on learning in a geometry and construction class. You know, um, it's amazing the geometry and algebra concepts associated with robots and building robots or high mileage vehicles, you know? And so providing opportunities that one, they're gonna remember, two, that are gonna really excite them about learning. I mean, those kids building robots and high mileage vehicles, they're the ones you have to kick out of the building at 10 o'clock at night because they, they don't wanna go home. And I'll be honest, in some of the areas, it's safer for them to be at school than it would be for them to be at home um, from four o'clock till 10 o'clock. So we love it, you know, and, and you wanna see collaboration? You watch your robot fail in the first robot rumble and you see them work together to get it back in the, the rink for that second time, 
I mean, that's stuff that people talk about, they love, that they're engaged, and and it puts the love back in learning again, like we talked about at the very yeah. beginning. Like, that's what it's about. Like, kids should love to learn. Adults should love to learn. Let's make sure that that's exactly the thought process we're thinking about as we're providing instructional strategies for our kids. Dr. Dave Schuler is the executive director of AASA, the School Superintendents Association, a position he began this year. He previously served as superintendent for 16 years at High School District 214, Illinois' largest high school system. He started the National Redefining Ready movement, which redefines what it means for students to be college, career, and life ready. You can learn more about AASA in the show notes. The Ed Spark Podcast with Dr. Karen Garza is a production of Battelle for Kids. Visit bfk.org to learn more about how we are helping to transform education systems nationwide. That's bfk.org.